Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Green Peak. This week, on the, we have Jay Charkowski, who is with Canna Advisors. Jay, welcome aboard. Richard, great to be here. Um, Jay, you know, Canna Advisors, you know, you personally have been involved in a lot of areas in the industry. Most notably, people look to you around licensing questions, but your advice touches into many facets of the business, which, you know, licensing is a big issue for people, but all the rest of the process needs to be taken in into the consideration as people are establishing. How are you finding it varying? Because in terms of, actually, this is a lousy start, Jay. I'm going to start it again. Okay. <laughs> my fault. Um, yeah, we could talk about anything. I mean, like, just, I don't know if, like, you know, my background, I've been in the industry for 13 years. I opened yep. up some of Colorado's first shops back yep. in the day, a bunch of grows. And, you know, heck, at this point, we've uh, secured licenses in over 30 competitive markets. Markets. Uh, I have yep. a private equity fund. I'm a partner in. We have a recruiting company. So anything you want to talk about, man, it's all good. Yeah. No. No. I've, that's that's fantastic. And uh, it was actually I had a train of thought that I went completely off the rails on. So, I, which I don't do to Brasco very often, but I'm going to restart. That's all good, we man. All and and that's I assume you you pronounce your name Charkovsky. Uh, actually, that, that's a good point. So it's uh, you, you you kind of messed it up just a little bit. It's uh, it's like czar, like the Russian czar. Oh, you want Zarkovsky? Okay. I, I assure you, I'm not Russian. Um, no, I know the Polish. name. It's Polish. I just uh, yeah, Zarkowski. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my my mom's name is Gilniewski, so well, Gilniewska for her, but Gilniewski for the family. So I'm I'm used to pronouncing it all sorts of ways. <laughs> um, Let's go and start from the top again. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Jay Zarkowski um, with Canna Advisors. Welcome aboard, Jay. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. So, Jay, you've been involved in the industry for many years. And you know, part of your focus today, of course, is on licensing. But you've worked through every aspect of the business, starting back in uh, Colorado and some of the early licenses, now across you know 30-odd states. The evolution has been not linear in the sense of every state's evolving differently and creates new opportunities. When you look at it today, what excites you most? Well, you know, what excites me the most right now is the Northeast. The Northeast United States, you know, certainly there have been medical marijuana programs in place for a number of states. Even some of the states in the Northeast have some, you know, uh, early adult use going on. But right. you know, compared to California, the nor in the Northeast right now, there is nothing. There's maybe a couple handfuls of licenses. There's not a whole lot of brands. There's just so, so much opportunity to build businesses in the Northeast. And that's what I'm most excited about right now. Yeah, we just had Terry Booth on the show, and he was also <clears throat> very bullish on the Northeast. He looks at, you know, he looks at two narrow areas in the U.S. as his big excitement. Northeast is one of them. Um, it's interesting that you're going through the, you know, you have the same perspective because a lot of times people are so focused on one area, they, they ignore the others. Um, the Colorado experience, how has it translated for you into other markets? Well, gosh, it, it goes back so far. Um, sometimes it's it's hard to remember how that translation happened. But we opened our first dispensary in 2009. By 2011, we had four big grow operations out here. And that was before licenses, mm -hmm. uh, before regulation, yep. uh, back in the wild, wild west days. Um, but what it did is it, it gave us a basic understanding of how to do business and really 
what's most important, how to serve the customer. Um, right. You know, how to take care of the customer, you know, medical patients at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave us an opportunity of, you know, how do you actually build a cultivation facility at scale? Um, right. you know, early processing, it, it, you know, it gave us some basic knowledge. And then when Colorado began to kind of catch up with the businesses and actually entertain the idea of issuing licenses, we stayed ahead of that, got some of Colorado's first licenses. And it really put us in a position to uh, take on our first consulting gig really at the end of 2012. And it was a gig that we didn't go out looking for. It was a group of five guys from Connecticut. Uh, okay. Connecticut passed a bill legislatively for medical in early 2012. And mm-hmm. there were these guys that wanted uh, some help to, uh, right. to win one of only four licenses the state was going to issue. So went to work with them. They paid us a monthly fee with an agreement. If we won the license, we get some equity. And yep. lo and behold, a year later, I think it was January 2014, we, were, we received state of Connecticut license number 0001. Right. Uh, built a facility, got it up and running. Sold it to GTI three and a half years ago. And uh, that was our first quote unquote consulting project, uh, out of state project. Yeah. And, you know, especially in an industry that's developing so rapidly, there, there's no substitute for experience as far as perspective goes. I know, you know, I, I do strategic reviews for a bunch of companies along the way, and they need to understand the gaps they have. But you're dealing with the entire ecosystem. And when you go back and, you know, from the perspective of starting off with the licensing, some states are basically, you know, moving towards, well, would be nice to have virtually unlimited licenses, but others have been really restrictive in the number of licenses they've given out. How do you see that affecting the market in each state, the competition, and also what are the big pitfalls of either model? Sure. So I'll start off by telling you that personally, I'm always a proponent and I'll always stand up for an open market. Uh, I believe everybody should have a chance to do business in cannabis, and let like the, uh, every let other the, industry, right? Yeah, let let the strong survive, let the cream rise to the top, let those um, you know good players that you know provide a good product at a good price to the customer, let them do well. Right. Um, you know, with that said, uh, my my licensing business, of course, it, you know, does its best work when it is competitive. Um, but I don't I don't make the rules. Uh, if it's an open program, that's great. But most states, of course, are limiting licenses. And when that happens, you know, we get in, we do real well. I, as I like to say, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, let's, let's look at Colorado. Uh, no limits on licenses, uh, mm-hmm. open program. It's always been that way. And then let's look at another state that's even um, probably more open than Colorado, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma clearly uh, cultivates and manufactures products, I don't know, 5X, 10X, um, you know, times as much as is being consumed in the state, right? You know, Oklahoma right. is probably a major exporter across the United States right now, as is Colorado, as is California. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I thought about those three states, I might even put Colorado last on the export list. Right. Um, so I think Oklahoma has taken a lot of uh, interstate market share away from us. Um, certainly, California must be the must be the king. I got to believe we would expect. But, yeah. But the, you know, the industry continues to evolve and, you know, New Jersey right now, they're not limiting the licenses at the state level for adult use, but it's being limited at the local level because I have yet to beat the local municipality that will allow for an unlimited number of businesses. Uh, New York, all indications are that there will be a limit on licenses. Um, Haven't really seen the details yet. Yeah, I've heard Um, about 500 and that's 
it's not a lot. It is a lot if they want to really keep track of them from day one. It's, you know, it's an immediate uh, regulatory nightmare for inspectors, but it's not a lot relative to the population. It's definitely not, but they're doing it in an interesting way. Like right now they're issuing what they're calling conditional cultivation licenses to these, to a, a certain subset of their existing hemp mm-hmm. cultivators. Right. Um, so they're trying to get some, uh, some product uh, growing right now. And they're, they're saying they're going to issue a certain subset of the dispensary licenses uh, to those that have been negatively, negatively impacted on the war on drugs. Uh, they want to get those licenses. Well, th- this is New York school. They want to get those licenses issued this year in 2022 and get as many of them operational in 2022 as they can. It's a tall order. That's a tall order. Yeah, no question. And, and how do those licenses go against the 500, right? Who gets the rest? Uh, all of those details are still left to be seen, but you know, it, it does seem like it will be competitive to some degree. That's good. I mean, that that competition will be, it'll be healthy for the market in so many ways. Um, you know, and, and staying in New York and then New Jersey, I mean, they're, they're goliaths in the marketplace in terms of potential for consumption. And, you know, with each of them, they're, they're far down the path in so many different levels. How much of your time are you spending there? I know you've, I think you've opened up a satellite office to your business in New York. And, you know, that's obviously a, a key area of interest for you. We did. Um, when I told you earlier that I was most excited about the Northeast, um, you know, I, uh, I'll back that back that up with my action. As I like to say, uh, I went all in of the Northeast. I moved my top executive, uh, Bob Wagner, number one biz dev guy. Uh, he's living in New York State right now. He's yeah. he's from New Jersey and used to have property in New York, so he's from the area. He's happy to be home, but you know, he's my number one biz dev guy, and he is on the ground in New York. And yes, we took uh, some office space in the Empire State Building, uh, moved into that a couple of months ago. Um, I'm personally out there, you know, probably two or three times uh, a month. And yeah, we're going all in, helping, you know, doing what we can on the advocacy side, uh, you know, uh, implementation side. And we, of course, uh, you know, intend to get a a good share of the business out there and and build a number of, uh, of new businesses. And, you know, by build a number of new businesses, you're looking at participating with a number of the license holders. Uh, do you participate alongside them or purely provide services today for most and very few you participate with? So we, we, we have a few different models. You know, first and foremost, I'll mention we started our own little private equity fund five years ago. And it's, you know, it's nothing crazy. It's just a small group of folks where we all, you know, pull the money and we've probably made 20 investments so far. And you know, we, we make that fund available to uh, to start up plant touching businesses in, in new states. Right. Um, and part of the cannel model as well, uh, when we do our licensing work, is we like to take a little something uh, on the back end as a success fee. I personally uh, prefer equity. Uh, sometimes state programs make that um, difficult, so we, we pass on it. Right. But I do like equity. I do like to acquire you know, very small equity stakes, nothing obnoxious, you know, a couple points maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, we do cash success fees sometimes that are paid out over time. So I basically like to structure our agreements so that we're, you know, we're, we're aligned and we have some skin in the game with our client success. Right. And that's, that's key and important. I think a lot of people underestimate the value of having that alignment, not just for the short term of a, a contract, but in the long run, because that keeps, you know, gets, ensures the company continues to have a pipeline of information which helps keep them ahead of the curve. 
for sure. And it's 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 exciting for all of us too because I I do share that action with the rest of the team at Canada Advisors. Right. So we do have to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment with Jay Zarkovsky with Canada Advisors. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Jay Zarkovsky from Canada Advisors. And Jay, you know, you mentioned just before the break that you'd moved your top person, had focused on business development to New York City. And, you know, your your bread and butter of your business is, you know, helping and really depends on what's going on in any particular state. But what areas of the industry do you personally spend most of the time focused on? Well, I'm a, I'm a biz dev guy too. When I'm uh, you know out working on behalf of Canada Advisors, uh, you know I'm, I'm spreading the good word. You know, talking about uh, my company, work that we've done. Right. Um, I also we've also done a lot of advocacy work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've donated personally to a number of campaigns over the years, not just with our, our money but with our time. We were very involved in Florida's Amendment Two campaign back in 2016. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that six years later, the state of Florida still has not yet implemented the will of the people. But, uh, you know, biz dev advocacy and, and certainly uh, investment. And you actually just on that, do you foresee that changing in Florida in the near term? Yeah, I, I really don't. I, I really don't see the um, the state implementing the will of the people. Um, Amendment two, you know, Amendment two called for an open, a more open program with um you know, separate licenses for cultivation, manufacturing, and uh, you know, dispensary horizontal. Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, six years later, the state has maintained um, their original program, where you know, you ha- it's a limited number of licenses. It has to be vertical. I will say that you know, by even the original law that Florida passed many years ago, um, they're supposed to issue a certain number of additional licenses for every additional hundred thousand pa- patients that right. register for the program. Uh, they've achieved that several times over, and, and the state is supposedly gearing up uh, for a competitive application process, maybe by the end of this year, to uh, issue an additional, I don't know, 15 or 18 uh, fully vertically integrated licenses, which, uh, of course, those licenses will be very valuable if that happens. They will be. And, you know, that's obviously one of the variations on state to state. Some are completely vertically integrated and some are horizontal. You can decide which area you're going to operate in more. In the long run, horizontal is the more economically sensible one because it allows companies to focus on their areas of expertise and drive the best um, value for themselves and their clients um, over time. But in the development of the industry, do you find one has been more effective in helping the industry develop over the other? Oh, for sure. You know, um, you know, horizontal licensing always makes the most sense because I mean, I'll even use Florida as an example. There's, you know, existing licensees in Florida and some of them don't do a really good job at, at uh, cultivation of plants or manufacturer products. Yep. Some of them don't do a very good job on the retail side. So I think, you know, leave it up to folks to pursue their passions and, you know, pursue licenses and, uh, and you know, what they feel strongly about, you know, um, you know, states like, um, you know, Colorado, California, certainly in many areas of the East coast were, uh, you know, vertical vertical integration is not required. You know, some real nice uh, industries developing out there. There's room for a lot of folks. There's room for uh, you know products to develop. You know, versus a state like Florida, where I was just down in Florida a few weeks ago and talking with some patients, and they assured me that 
um, it, it's rare that they would ever want to acquire uh, cannabis products from uh, a licensed dispensary in Florida just because the quality is that bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've understood that from a number of people. And, you know, there are firms that are doing really amazing work, but it's very difficult in the vertical uh, license system to really excel in every, every tier. It's, it's virtually impossible. And that's an artificial marketplace that has lots of issues, but, you know, taking a step away from that, Can Advisors is well known in the industry and you've worked across, you know, 30 plus states and in so many different areas. And it's not just you, obviously. Some people think, you know, some of these firms, they don't really know how large it is or how many. You've got a lot of people with a lot of varied experience. How big is Can Advisors? Can Advisors, 25 people, W2 right now, in addition to a number of contractors. And it's it's funny, I I think those that don't work with Can Advisors or or haven't in a while, maybe just think of it as uh, Jay and Diane. Uh, but yep. certainly our, our, our client base, they, our, our existing client base, it, it might be rare for them to even know who Jay and Diane is because uh, the executives and people that I have running the day-to-day operations at Can Advisors, most of them have, them have been with me for four, five, six years, some of them. And they just do a fantastic job at uh, running the company, um, you know, closing deals, striking partnerships, and most importantly, delivering value uh, to our client base and winning those licenses. Well, and... and- you know, that's an excellent point. It, it, as far as from a business perspective, it's a, a desire of a lot of entrepreneurs who start advisory businesses, services business and the like to not have themselves be the, the face of the business in all circumstances, that people don't come to the business to hire just Jay. They actually come to the firm to hire Canada advisors and they understand it's a, um, an organization-wide level of quality. How did you did you mindfully build that into your business to separate it from an association with you, or did it happen organically? It definitely happened organically. You know, Diane and I sometimes talk about um, you know building a, a team. You know, hiring employees. It's it's like a, a game of cards sometimes, right? Sometimes you have to you know hand a couple you know give up a couple cards and take a couple new cards and. You know, we're continually, you know, looking to have the best hand possible. And, and certainly today I could think, you know, out across everybody that's working for me. And there's not one person that I would ever want to lose. Uh, we have a fantastic team. And, um, you know, I think as every entrepreneurs, they, they aspire to um, to re- replace themselves. Right. And, you know, we were fortunate in hiring some really, really good people over the years. I mean, I, I think back on human resources, right. We have a fortune 100 HR director for our small little company. You know, my wife, Diane used to do all the HR work. Right. Diane used to do a lot of the marketing work and, you know, get ready for events. Oh my God. Um, the people that we have on the team doing that now, they're just so efficient, so good, so professional. Um, you're not, you're not saying your wife isn't efficient or professional, I hope. She's, uh, you know, <laughs> Diane's telling me she's retired now. She's she's a jazz fest uh, a, a, as we speak. So oh, lucky her. I mean, she she we we hire such good people that she yeah really doesn't um, need to uh, you know be so involved anymore. Her role that's, is chief happiness wonderful. officer, and she's yeah. always been great at taking care of the employees, and that continues to be her strong suite in her role. That's no, that's great, and uh, that is uh, it's wonderful when you can actually grow yourself out of a business in a certain way. Where you're still participating, but you're not, you're not having to be involved at every step. It's uh, it's a tribute actually to a well, 
built and foundationally strong business development as a uh, on the whole um you know and, and that's one of the the things that's caused a lot of issues in the industry for you know around the world is so many of the firms that developed and you know, especially the you know the small businesses and entrepreneurs who've gotten the industry they were developed around the grower and the grower was the rock star and they have to get out of that very quickly to survive and to to succeed how often have you had to you know deal with the entrepreneur and explain that to them that it can't be them they can't do everything and the business has to has to really um evolve so that i think is easy for us to deal with because again most of the work that we do is in you know limited market states where uh, the, the competition sometimes is fierce for these licenses so it's easy for us to, exp- to explain to these entrepreneurs that want to pursue these licenses this here's what you really need to build for the team right because right. The, the the state i mean it you know almost forget about the fact that you need this to to win and to be successful but yep. if before you even get out of the gate the state's going to want to see that you have this team so you know people understand that we work with you know let's say it's a vertical license you need to have of course some real horticultural expertise mm-hmm. some manufacturing expertise in the retail side whether it's patient facing or, or um adult use you know compliance security uh, financial governance, of course. So, you know, we coach our teams and help them, uh, you know, b- build the right team to ensure not only that they'll get the license, but for their operational success as well. Yeah, and no, I also find people are very open um, and want that gap analysis done. I know that uh, you know a lot of companies and groups I speak to, they they want to understand where's where's the gaps that they need to fill to succeed. And that you know, obviously, you have to deal with a lot of them on that level as well and very successful you've done yeah post license as well we we, we have a group now that we helped get licensed um you know years ago and uh, they've been faltering a little bit so we're you know again we have some ownership in the business so we're right. you know, doing a little, little coaching right now let's let's maybe change this this person out and you know add this role and mm-hmm. you know just try try to try to get it back on the mend yeah you know and i always i i often use the term promote down it doesn't mean that they're not good it means they're miscast in the role they're in and they could be absolutely phenomenal in a different role don't get yeah. don't get excited about the title get excited about delivering value um jay we do have to take a uh, quick bake break but we'll be back in a moment with jay zarkovsky with can advisors the green peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors And we're back on the Green Peak with Jay Sarkovsky with uh, Can Advisors. And Jay, you know, one of the things that I often, you know, beat a drum about is when legalization actually happens, it's not panacea. There's going to be a lot of changes. And, you know, we touched on the vertical versus the horizontal licenses, but it's also going to involve, you know, the FDA is going to be involved and people don't know what to really expect. How do you look at it and when do you think it's going to happen? Sure, that's, that's a really fascinating question because, of course, one day there'll be some form of federal, you know, call it what you will, legalization or descheduling, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Um, but the reality is, of course, it'll be very exciting when that day comes. Of, of course, you know, stocks will you know, probably have a, a huge bump 
But the reality is the the next day or two days later, when all the excitement begins to wane, like really nothing's changed. Some things have changed, right? It's not federally illegal anymore. So maybe we can get past 280, get past some of these, you know, credit card and banking issues. But, you know, the cannabis industry, it's still, you know, up until that point, it's a it's it's a state's issue, right? Every single state has its program and federal legalization really doesn't do a whole lot to at least overnight, to change those state programs. Um, and right now, every state requires that you know cannabis be cultivated in state, that's sold in state. Um, interestingly enough, the there are two states that, based on their cannabis laws, allow for export. Oklahoma is one of those. Oklahoma's right. program allows for export. And of course, Oregon, in the last couple of years, has amended their program to allow for export. But the issue is, right, it's federally legal, crossing state lines, so nobody's legally doing that in these states, not to mention there's not a single state that allows for, for import. import. Yep. But, you know, you get some movement at the federal level, maybe that gets some some folks thinking, and I'll mention Florida again, and we could talk about some other things. But, you know, it's fairly difficult, I think, for folks to grow quality cannabis in mm-hmm. Florida. Wouldn't it be great if these dispensaries in Florida could get some good products from other places, maybe where the climate's a little bit better and more conducive for cultivating cannabis. So lots of uh, lots of possibilities when that day happens. There are. And you know that it's a very finicky plant when you're trying to get the standardization and consistent uh, product to market, especially on the medical side where, you know, in, you grow um, an agricultural product to a, to a pharmaceutical grade. It's, it's a challenge and it's a, an opportunity. But, you know, the nuances of that how when you're speaking to businesses how are they preparing are they looking are many of them looking far enough ahead to start adapting their businesses today to the reality of what happens when legalization occurs you know some may be but honestly even like we work with a lot of larger msos too but you know believe it or not like some of very well-heeled groups not just msos but some of the larger investment firms they they come to us to help them acquire additional licenses in new places. And, you know, most of the larger players, they have their hands full, just like in the mm-hmm. day to day, right? They're trying to figure out how to become profitable. A lot of them still, right? Believe it or not, yep. um, you know, cut operating costs. Um, I don't know how many are really thinking ahead to uh, the day of federal legalization, but, you know, I, I know there's some ancillary businesses that are preparing uh, mm-hmm. to help serve, uh, you know, those folks that are, you know, familiar with, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturing and uh, compliance, CGMP. And I think for those that could really build a scalable compliance business to meet the needs of so many companies that will have a need once, you know, there's an ability to go across state lines and, you know, serve a broader, I, I think those types of companies will will do really well. Now, I'll, I'll answer the question from my perspective, am I building out a CGMP compliance uh, offering? I'm not. So I'm going to lump myself in with the rest of these folks that, you know, just aren't getting ready. But right. thanks for the reminder. We all better start getting ready. We, we do. We do. And, you know, it's interesting you reference CGMP as opposed to GMP or EU GMP, which is the big international standard. Do you look at the U.S. aligning uh, its framework to the global markets for export purposes and, and also in consideration of there will be a flood of imported products from markets that can grow cheaper to as high or higher quality. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. The, 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 if the U.S. wants to legally import, right, that'll have to be, uh, I don't know, I guess, 
taking into account with whatever national, you know, federal laws uh, come into place, there's probably going to be a whole uh, a whole other level of compliance for international import as well. Now, conversely, on the export side, right, there's going to be U.S.-based brands that people in other countries want. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe the Humboldt name out of California, right? Yeah. Uh, becomes very popular, you know, in uh, in, in places uh, in, in Europe. Who knows? But you know, for that to happen, of course, we have to get past these um, these silly federal laws, these outdated federal laws. Um, you know, when Canada began to export internationally years ago, it broke my heart. That should be us, right? What do the Canadians know about cannabis? You know, it should be the. Well, we've we've been growing it in hermetically sealed boxes for you know well over twenty years, and we only lose fifty percent of the crop to to pests. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it'll be it'll be a good day when the U.S. could begin to, um, you know, I, I I think claim its rightful place as a, as a world leader uh, in the in the cannabis space. No, it will be right, and it's going to be a question of. And I think it's going to be a world leader in brands. Absolutely. I think research, as that really starts flowing, there's going to be massive, uh, as, as in anything, the U.S. is a world leader in research that's been left to some other countries. You know, and there's the software platforms for GMP and for compliance and everything else. You know, naturally that evolves out of the U.S. It'll just be a question of what are the, the segments that really are left to everybody else. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we could trade France for uh, cannabis for champagne, right? Yeah, yeah. Although we can't use the name champagne cannabis because you know that's controlled. Mm. <laughs> uh, Jay, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Green Peak this week, and uh, you know, thanks to everybody for listening. I look forward to uh, having you on again at some point, Jay, when uh, when the opportunity arises. Well, it's been fun, Richard. Thanks for having me. Great. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.